Hi there, welcome back to MLEX's weekly podcast covering the top regulatory issues around the world. My name is James Paniki from MLEX's Asia-Pacific team. It's great to be with you again. Now, today won't be the first time that we've talked about the European Union's sprawling data privacy legislation, the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR. Most recently, we talked about how the collapse of the European Union's privacy shield that allowed for data to flow between the EU and the US has reverberated around the world. Well, today we're going to add to that discussion and talk about how jurisdictions outside of Europe are gearing up to meet the GDPR's requirements, something that has become critical for businesses needing to move data in and out of the EU. Canada is offering an interesting case study on this with concerns over the limitations of federal legislation prompting provincial governments to find some solutions. We'll talk that through with our senior correspondent Amy Miller in just a few minutes' time. But in Europe, there's an even more pressing issue bubbling away at the moment. It won't have escaped your attention that the UK has voted to leave the EU and as a result it will leave EU regulation behind. That's all good and well, if that's your thing, of course. However, it brings with it concerns over adequacy. If both sides want to maintain the flow of data once Brexit has kicked in, they will need to ensure that their data protection regimes are, if not identical, at least compatible. Our reporter in London, Jakub Krupa, has written a fine piece of analysis on this issue, and he joins us now. Uh, Jakob, firstly, remind me why it's so important for the future of the UK-EU trade relationship to have data adequacy. So basically what data adequacy is, is a determination made by the European Commission whether a third country has an adequate level of data protection. Now, the effect of that is basically that you can easily send data from um, UK or whatever other country um, to a European Union member state. So obviously with the UK having been for so many years a member state of the European Union, it's always relied on you know, just basically limitless and free flow of data between um, UK and other countries. Now, with Brexit, that obviously becomes a bit more difficult because unless European Commission says, yes, whatever you have as a framework going forward is adequate and equivalent to what we have, there are potential problems for them. And we know that you know the estimates are that just in 2018, um, the uh, data-enabled services exports to the UK from the EU are worth, worth about £42 billion. Now, if you think about all the issues we talk about in Brexit, for example, fisheries, which is one of the big outstanding issues, it's much, much less than that. So in, in a way, data adequacy for months has been ignored or sidelined as something that, oh, surely they're going to come up with some sort of agreement when we focused on other things. Now, it turns out to be an actually quite a big issue. Okay, so there are clearly very good reasons for the UK and the EU to be on the same page when it comes to uh, the protection of data uh, as it's transferred across borders. What stands in the way of that happening? What are the sticking points? Surprisingly, quite a lot. So a few days ago, UK's chief negotiator, David Frost, said basically openly, it's progressing more slowly than we thought it would and it's not going as well as I expected this to go. Uh, there are a couple of problems. One big problem is that the UK has always been saying, you know, the reason we are doing Brexit is to take back control, to be able to control our own laws and to potentially diverge from European laws. Now, obviously, what it means for the European officials looking at the data adequacy decision is, OK, UK may be very well aligned with us at this moment because it obviously has the European Union's GDPR rules, general data protection regulation on, on data protection, but then again, what's going to happen in the future? How are they going to diverge from that? Can we make the decision that their system is adequate 
and offers enough safeguards if we don't know what's going to happen in the future. And the UK officials have been saying openly, you know, this is too onerous, this is too difficult for businesses to comply with, maybe we should change something about it. And there's a lot of uncertainty about what exactly that change would entail. Other than that, there's, there's a problem of data surveillance. Now, just recently, there was a case in the European court um, when actually UK surveillance regime was found to be too big and too intrusive in people's life, uh, with the court going as far as saying that this is something that should not be happening in democratic societies because intelligence services should not be allowed to collect that amount of data. Now, UK says, well, there's a good reason for that, and that's public safety and protection of the public. We have to do it, and we actually have a system that is more robust than most countries. But when you remember other discussions about data that we have going on at the moment, which is, for example, the EU-US privacy shield discussion, the, the, the exact same problem is there with, with, the, with, the, with the privacy shield being struck down earlier this year because of surveillance regime in the US. So obviously now the US looks at it and says, like, hang on a second, the UK has a similar system to ours. Why, why should they get a adequacy decision if we can't can, can get um, some sort of data uh, transfer mechanism? So there's a lot of sticking points like that. And obviously there's a number of general issues around negotiations with Brexit that's going on for ages with basically EU asking, can we trust you in this going forward? I think that's a big question, particularly after the UK recently said, yes, we are ready to break international law. We are ready to renege on our commitments from the withdrawal agreement. The EU says, hang on a second, that doesn't help with our negotiation. Okay, so look, the easiest solution here would be for the UK to simply modify its uh, surveillance legislation, which goes back to uh, 2016, and uh, simply make it uh, to, to bring it in line with uh, rules uh, in the European Union. How likely is that to happen? I think it's extremely unlikely that that would happen before the end of the year. I mean, for a couple of reasons. One, UK says there's nothing wrong with our legislation. It's the ECJ is wrong on that one. And we have to remember that the EU stops EU top courts. Um, decision was about the previous surveillance regime, not the current one. So the UK will argue we have actually changed it in the meantime a bit. You just didn't look at it. So there's no reason for you to now say, you know, this is not good enough. Apart from that, I think there's a problem of general kind of UK approach to security with basically UK government, UK ministers saying this is justified. If that's what we need to protect the public, that's it. We're not going to risk general you know, security for, for, for this. And finally, I think the point there is clearly a technical one, which is a legislative bandwidth of the government. With so many things happening at the same time and the government having to adapt to Brexit and the situation, and you know, we're, we're two months out and we still don't know whether there's going to be a deal or not and how the government needs to prepare for that in terms of legislation. The obvious question is about, is this really something we should be focusing at the moment in the middle of a global pandemic? And the political dimension always feeds into this, uh, doesn't it? Because Brexit was all about not having to accept the rules and regulations of the European Union. It might be a, a big call to ask the UK now to modify its legislation to fit in with the expectations of the EU. So where are we now? I mean, you, UK negotiators have already said, as you mentioned before, that things are moving more slowly than expected. So where are things likely to end up now? So I think, you know, we've had so many deadlines now for a deal with UK and you saying we need to agree by X and then obviously nothing happens by X and they say, OK, we need to come up with a new date. Um, I think there's growing pressure that some sort of agreement needs to be in place in general kind of 
terms on Brexit by the end of October. That's just for technical reasons, because then you have to implement it and it has to go through a lot of procedural um, hoops to make sure that you can implement that in time before the end of transition period at the end of the year. Now, the data adequacy decisions are slightly different from that, so they're not necessarily part of the mainstream, mainstream of negotiations. Um, but obviously, the idea is to have that concluded in, in, in good time before the end of transition period. If not, UK businesses and businesses who do data transfers between EU and UK will have to, will have to come up with a new way of making data transfers, and that will be through standard contractual clauses. Now, that's onerous, that's costly to prepare, that takes a lot of effort to make sure that it works and is prepared in good time. So obviously, UK businesses will be waiting until the very last minute, possibly, with putting that in place, saying, you know, we don't want to do that unless we really have to. Um, so UK will be definitely trying to get that decision by the end of the year, but will it get it? I think it's really difficult to say at the moment. We know that the originally UK was quite confident about it. It was always saying, you know, we have the same rules as you guys on this. There's no reason not to give us that decision. I think now it proves to be much, much more tricky. Jakub, it has been great fun talking to you. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Great pleasure. Jakub Krupa is an MLEX reporter in London covering data, privacy and protection. And we'll link to his analysis of the many aspects of this issue at our website, mlexmarketinsight.com. Just click on the Insight Centre tab and it will be all at your fingertips. Still to come today, why the GDPR matters to Canada's provincial governments. listening to MLEX's weekly podcast covering regulatory affairs. James Paniki with you. It's great to have your company. And speaking of the US-EU Privacy Shield, don't forget that our special report on the EU court's invalidation of the transatlantic data transfer arrangement is still very much online. We cover the regulatory risk of the decision from a global perspective with reporting from the UK, Japan and Australia, as well as the EU and the US. MLEXMarketInsight.com is where you need to be for that report. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Canadian provincial governments appear to be increasingly concerned that ageing federal data privacy rules may see them struggle to meet GDPR adequacy standards and therefore miss out on the trade opportunities that come with it. This has led some of the provinces to start making plans of their own. Of course, this is nothing new in North America. We've already seen US states go their own way on privacy. But how likely is it that this patchwork model will be adopted by the US's northern neighbour? Amy Miller is a senior correspondent for MLEX based in San Francisco, and she joins me now. Uh, Amy, firstly, why are Canada's provinces proposing to go their own way here? What has prompted uh, those decisions? Well, for years, the Canadian federal government has promised to uh, amend substantially uh, Canada's aging privacy statute, which currently regulates commercial activity, but without any threat of financial penalties. That's the Personal Information Protection and Electronic Documents Act, or, or PEPIDA. Uh, so PEPIDA, passed in 2004, is insufficient, critics charge. Um, it's enforced by the Privacy Commissioner of Canada, but the commissioner has no power to order compliance or administer penalties under the law. So without the threat of stiff penalties, the law lacks any teeth, people say, some people say. The Privacy Commissioner, uh, Daniel Terrier, said privacy threats against Canadians had reached crisis levels when he rolled out the office's 2018 annual report. And then um, the government of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau uh, issued an outline of a new data protection law 
but no proposals have been introduced in Parliament since then. So, so far, however, the federal government's efforts and pleas have yet to yield any definitive results, and so now the provinces are stepping in with their own proposals. Okay, so the privacy, uh, the federal privacy uh, laws, PIPEDA, uh, clearly needs some work, but that has been true for some time, I suppose. So why is there now a sense of urgency in Canada when it comes to privacy legislation? Well, I think in the immediate short term, uh, the coronavirus pandemic has highlighted the need for stronger online privacy protections. Um, But I think the more important and and urgent uh, issue looming is the EU's general data protection regulation. Uh, The GDPR imposes special requirements for transferring personal data outside of Europe to countries that don't ensure an adequate level of protection. So since uh, 2001, the European Commission has given Canada a limited adequacy status, and that applies only to data transferred to recipients bound by PEPIDA. But PEPIDA's status has not really been reviewed since then. So some are worried that Canada could lose its adequacy status, uh, which is particularly concerning after the U.S. mechanism, Privacy Shield, uh, for transferring data to the EU was recently invalidated uh, by the European Union Court of Justice. That was due to inadequate protections uh, from government access. Yes, indeed. And uh, that is something that Jakob was talking about just a few minutes ago in the context of the UK, right? I mean, it will be interesting to see now how it is likely to play out in this context. Do we have any idea uh, when the European Commission will review the status of Canada's federal rules? Soon. Uh, Canada's Privacy Commissioner said last week that a decision is expected fairly shortly, and he also raised questions about whether local laws would be uh, enough to satisfy the European Commission. Yeah, okay. So given that there are clearly some uncertainties uh, with the federal law, that means that the provinces, uh, provinces, of course, being the states of the Canadian Federation, the provinces may need to step in. But there is a concern that Canada will, in fact, end up with a patchwork of uh, of confusing, overlapping privacy laws, much like what appears to be emerging in the US, where states like California and Nevada appear to be leading the way. Is that is an American future what what lies ahead for, for Canada on this front? I think there is some concern about that, but I don't think that uh, what lies ahead is a, is a U.S. future. It's, it's hard right now to tell where things are going to end up. Uh, so right now, currently, Canada's provinces are debating how closely to follow GDPR. And they may come up with different approaches, but basically they're considering many of the same individual rights that are provided to Europeans. Quebec has introduced what's called Bill 64, which incorporates numerous GDPR-like rights, which which includes breached reporting requirements and new individual rights. That includes a right to data portability, the right to be forgotten, uh, the right to object to automatic processing, uh, the right to receive notice if someone is subject to surveillance, And it would also establish, for the first time, stiff penalties for Canadian companies if they violate the law. And it would create a private right of action so that consumers can seek damages. Um, Some version of the proposal is expected to be adopted sometime in the spring of 2021, but it's unclear at this point, you know, what's going to survive and what's going to be cut out. Uh, Ontario uh, is also considering its own privacy legislation. Uh, They're looking at many of the same individual rights as Quebec, including the right to be forgotten. Uh, Unlike 
Quebec, they're also weighing whether to impose penalties or to allow consumers to seek damages uh, for alleged violations in court. Uh, right now, Ontario is seeking public comment, and um, earlier this week, Ontario officials signaled uh, during a town virtual town hall meeting that their ultimate proposal, whatever eventually uh, gets introduced, could could be different from Quebec's. And they raised some familiar concerns heard here in the U.S. that any privacy legislation can't hamper uh, technological innovation. And uh, the Ontario government is also considering the idea of data trusts. That would be networks that allow organizations to freely share information for research or other civic purposes. So it's it's really uncertain at this point where everything's going to end up. There could be some differences, but it, it seems given where they're starting off at, the, at sort of the same basic starting place that they're going to end up that far apart. Mm. But we'll see. I wonder what the implications for Ottawa might be here with all of this provincial activity. I mean, is all of this going to push... Uh, the Canadian federal government to strengthen uh, the country's privacy law? Maybe, but uh, they've got a long way to go, uh, Canada's privacy commissioner said this week. Um, He said he's had discussions with about half a dozen federal ministers who are sympathetic to his pleas for stronger privacy legislation. Uh, But he also said at the same time they still don't have a lot to work with, and he really doesn't know when the government will consider uh, privacy legislation. Okay, Amy, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to walk us through all of this. It's uh, interesting stuff and it was great talking. Thank you, James. Amy Miller is a senior correspondent with MLEX covering privacy from our office in the increasingly smoke-free San Francisco. And we'll post some links to our privacy team's work on the Canadian provincial government's privacy initiatives at our website, mlexmarketinsight.com. That's M-L-E-X marketinsight.com. And as I'm sure you know only too well, you can subscribe to MLEX Podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud and Stitcher. We'd love it if you could leave a review and help spread the word on our efforts to bring regulation to the masses. Next week, we'll take a look at the EU's digital markets proposal, legislation that would set down rules for tech platforms and hand new powers to enforcers. If implemented, it would have a significant impact on how the platforms are regulated. We'll also see how new platform proposals are playing out in the UK. So plenty to get stuck into next week, so don't forget to download the program from Friday Morning GMT. I'm James Paniki, Asia-Pacific Senior Editor here at MLEX. Thank you so much for your company today. I'll see you again very, very soon. Bye for now. <music>